Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Good morning, Neighborhood Church. It is good to hear you guys. Man, I love that last song, that melody. Oh, so good. We sing that with our girls at nighttime uh, before they go to bed. I love you, Lord. Well, good morning. My name is John Wyatt. I am the pastor to our junior high and high school students. I'm also the pastor over our life groups. And it is a blessing to be with you. Welcome, if this is your first time online or your first time here, actually, in person. Um, We are excited to worship our God together and sing his praises and also live out our praise each day. Um, And you're joining us in our first John series, or excuse me, first, second, and third John series, um, Walking in the Light. And um, this morning, you know, when I think about walking into light, this is the picture that comes to my heart, that comes to my mind. You'll see it on the screen. Um, This picture here. And the great thing is that my wife and I, Debbie, we were blessed to visit Egypt. Um, Where were we going to see the sunrise at the top of a mountain? Um, It was called Jebel Musa in Arabic, or as the locals for centuries have called it, the Mountain of Moses, Mount Sinai. And we were blessed, you know, Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And so um, as we we went down the Sinai Peninsula, we woke up at 2 a.m. one morning, we saddled a camel, and we started our ascent into the darkness. But once we got to the base of the mountain, Debbie, unfortunately, got altitude sickness, and she was pretty nauseous. You see, Mount Sinai is about 6,900 feet, and which is pretty high if you're hiking. But when you're hiking, like me, usually when you're hiking, you know, you're in it about an hour, and all the blood rushes from your heart. And if you've been walking like this, all the blood is now in your fingers, right? And you have to, like, when you, when you hike, you need to, like, move your body to get the blood flowing back up your arms into your heart. Well, um, also, too, when you're hiking, usually you're panting, if you're me, um, right? Because switchbacks are so high, so overwhelming, so exhausting, and you go back and forth, and if you try to run up the mountain, not only will you be panting, you'll get shin splints, and you'll ruin the trailhead, but that's another thing. Um, But as you're panting, that's a good thing, because when you're hiking, you need to breathe, right? You need to breathe and let oxygen come into your lungs. Well, since we were riding camels in the darkness, they were the ones breathing, not necessarily us, okay? They were carrying us on their backs, and we weren't necessarily oxygenating our lungs and our brains with the air that we needed to make the ascent to 6,900 feet. So after riding a camel for a couple of hours and then stopping, we were finally breathing on our own. And that's when it started to hurt, right? That's when it started to hurt. So what we did was we walked down a little bit in our elevation. Debbie got a Sprite get some sugar in her body, and then she took a little cat nap, and then afterwards, she felt good enough to attempt the summit. It's about mm, probably 3.30 in the morning about this point. And so, um, as we start climbing the 750 steps, um, not only were we greeted by a bunch of little kitties on the top of Mount Sinai, which was a treat for my wife, uh, for sure, it was also an amazing sunrise that I actually snapped a picture of, and I carry it with me in my Bible for years now. It's a beautiful thing because it reminded me that the darkness of night couldn't last forever because the true light was already shining. We just had to wait for it to touch our faces. We just had to wake up into it. And so this morning, I'm hoping to lead us closer into the light 
by starting from the inside out. As we catch our breath and examine ourselves and submit to Jesus this morning, we are going to experience the true light and the true life of Jesus Christ. But as we go, we may experience light hitting our darkness. And at times it could be uncomfortable, it can be dizzying, because the light is going to reveal our shortcomings. It's going to reveal our weaknesses and even shine on our sins. But that's okay, because that's called growth. Okay? And what we do when that light impacts us is how we grow or not grow. So my encouragement, my invitation this morning is that you would allow the light of Christ to come in so that you might experience a closer connection with him this morning as a result of you opening yourselves as we open his word to us today. So even if you experience your own sin, let it be an invitation to return to repent, and to start again from the inside out this morning. And so before we start, we have to keep in mind that the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So would you pray with me before we open God's word? Lord Jesus, we have been singing in your presence this morning. We have gotten up early to come and sing together in your church with your family. And God, as we prepare to open your words to us, God, open our hearts. Open our eyes that we might see you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, please, if you have your Bibles, open to the book of 1 John. 1 John is where we're going to be spending um, some time today, but it will be in 1 John chapter 2. If you don't know where 1 John is, it comes uh, right before 2 John and right after 2 Peter. Um, You can have Siri open it for you. You can have your Bible app open it for you. Um, Table of contents are great. I encourage students all the time, go there. But you can also go to the end of your Bible and then start flipping left. So it's towards the end, 1 John chapter 2. And just to set the scene here, in 1 John chapter 2, John is writing to a house church that's about 50 years old. It's been about 50 years since Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from the cross, from the grave, and the church is growing. It's 50 years after Jesus has gone to heaven, ascended into heaven, and then sent his spirit into his believers. No more is God's spirit going into the temple made by human hands, but it is going into the hearts and lives of those who see Jesus as the Messiah and trust him as the only son of God. And now John is writing this to the early church to remind them to where to begin their whole lives and where we can start every day. That the true light and the true message of Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It actually happened, and we have good news because of it. Look with me at verse 7 of chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, and it is true in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. It is vital for John's, the house churches there, and for neighborhood church today, that we remember to start here every single morning. That the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. If you remember nothing from today's sermon, and my prayer is that you will remember this, and it will be lodged in your brain, and settled in your heart. I pray you remember this. You see, we are now able, as Pastor Justin said last week, we're able to remember what Jesus did and run to the Father because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining on us and in us. Why? Because Jesus is our advocate 
and he's the propitiation for our sins. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the one who is seated next to God the Father in heaven and is currently leaning over and telling him and advocating for us, letting the Father know that his blood on the cross covers our sins and we are now a part of his family. And John is writing to the church to remind them of this reality of following Jesus. John is a good pastor. He understands that for there to be spiritual growth means that there are going to be areas of sin that we need to grow out of or to grow in. Christ needs to shine his light in our darkness in order for it to pass away. But we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear because Jesus is advocating for us. Jesus has absorbed the wrath, justice, and punishment of God on our behalf, and therefore we don't need to be afraid because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, she's with me, he's with me, they're covered. And all Christians can and we must start here. That Jesus is continually advocating for us and he's turned away God's wrath because of the cross. Because here's why it's vital for life. If we don't start here every morning and every time that we open God's word to us, we're going to feel pressure to tackle this life, to tackle our sin, to tackle our spiritual growth on our own. And that is where we get into trouble. Whenever we open God's word to us, like we are going to do this morning, the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing comfort, but he also brings conviction. He can bring correction, but he can also bring consolation. The Holy Spirit is known to bring a challenge, but he also brings about Christ-likeness. And so if we forget that the darkness is passing and that the true light is already shining, well, if we forget that, when we do hear God's word kind of start ringing from the inside out, we may end up forgetting Jesus and running away from the Father. Does that make sense? We may run away because of our fear of failure or being paralyzed by what would happen if I mess up living in the light. What if I mess up living right? Or we can respond to God's word by trying to keep God at bay by doing all these good Christian things or these good things to kind of like, God, I want to show you I'm serious. I want to convince you to love me. And what we're doing is we're trying to distract God with good things away from maybe those things that we're embarrassed about or we feel shameful about. Or sometimes, let's be honest, we hear God's word and we may even harden our hearts against God as a way to justify our current sins and way of living. If we don't remember that Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation, we'll never run to the Father. But if we do remember that the darkness is passing and the true light has come, that the word of life is found in Jesus, then we can wake up every single morning in that. We are now, because of Jesus, able to wake up to a father who's been watching over us as we slept. We couldn't convince God to love us because we were sleeping. We couldn't convince God to stay watch because we couldn't do anything to prove ourselves to him. He watches us, and that is straight from Psalms. This is the lamp that we need to turn on each morning to see, as opposed to trying to start our own little fires in our own little darkness that tend to burn out anyway. Again, darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. And for those that have decided to follow Jesus and you've invited him into your life, please keep this close to your heart this morning as we lean deeper into the light, as we lean deeper into the word. Because any time that you walk in the light towards God, it's a purifying experience. It's a purging experience. 
It's an uncomfortable process of being loved in your failures. It's an uncomfortable process of being loved in your messiness, being loved in your sin. Because the light of Jesus shines in those areas that are dark in our life for a purpose. Coming in contact with a holy God who sees all of us all at once and then patiently walks us out of the darkness is rather awkward, but it's transformational. And it may bring up feelings, if you're like me, of unworthiness or shame or guilt, or I know these things, I then should know better. Because of the light of Jesus is challenging our thinking, it can confront our living, and it actually wounds our pride because maybe we're not as far as along as we thought we were. But don't despair. Because John wrote in his gospel before he wrote these letters to the church in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through him. Paul wrote about the same thing when he's on the road to Damascus and he comes face to face with Jesus and he thought he was doing the right thing, but he was actually hurting God. Paul would later write in Romans 8 out of his relationship of transformation, of knowing who God is, he would say there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have to start here. Jesus came not for punishment's sake, but in order to free us and show us the way out of darkness and into the light of his life. Not to confuse us with more laws or more restrictions or more to-dos, but rather Jesus came to help us know our creator, our maker, our redeemer better. To see God more clearly, to love him in order that we might share that light with others. The light that we've received, we can share that with those around us. In a very small book that I highly recommend, um, it's a profound book, Christian psychologist David Benner explores the dynamics of living out our obedience with the Lord. And he reminds us that coming back to God in my failures at love, throwing myself into God's arms and asking him to remind me of how much he loves me as I am, it is only there that I begin to experience new ways of love from him to give to others. So this is every Christian's starting block. This is every Christian's first cup of grace and truth that we drink in every morning. This is the dock that we are anchored to before we set out to see into the Christian life. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And because of all of what Jesus has done, we are going to see today that we can now embrace obedience as our way of embracing Jesus. In keeping his commands, we can actually get to know him better by hearing, but then listening with our actions to the truth. We can move from a checklist of commands to genuine transformation of our affections and our desires from the inside out, which will move us, move us from occasional acquaintances with Jesus where we're like, am God and I okay? If it's, based on my, if it's based on my behavior, then, man, I haven't been that good, so we're probably not okay. Well, this can move us, even in our disobedience, closer to Jesus, closer to a dynamic intimacy of being loved in our mess, right where we are, where we can be known and loved. Think about a time when you've been known, probably in your mess, and loved anyway. That is powerful. 
We're going to see that. Look at verse 3 of 1 John 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. You see, to claim to be a Christian, it can be said in a multitude of ways, and as we go through 1 John, we're going to hear it. It's going to, to claim to be a Christian is to know God, is to walk in the light, is to live in the light. Um, but for it to be a genuine claim in our life, it has to show itself in how we obey God, how we imitate God, and how we love our brothers and sisters around us. Without this testing and this verification of our words, the claim that we actually known God can be seen by others, others as bogus, and we're a sham. And yet it makes me reflect. It makes me think back, what are commandments for in the first place? Are commandments set up to simply frustrate me and to make me set, up, set me up to fail? Or is there something else behind commandments in the first place? I would suggest that commandments are set up to help us depend. Commandments are the reflection of God's very heart, his desires for redemption, not just for you individually, but for us and the whole world. Commandments are his perfect plan for us. But if we make the goal of our spiritual lives a goal of sin management, if we make the goal, if we make the gospel, you know, making sure that I don't screw up my life and making sure that God's happy with me, if I make that the goal, then I think we're going to miss what we were created for. God doesn't throw the Bible at us with a bunch of marching orders because he's desperate for volunteers to get his kingdom on earth off the ground. That's... that's that's not what he does. Rather, we get to live each day not with the goal of gospel or the gospel of sin management. But we were talking in my small group this week, what, is the, what was the goal of the Garden of Eden? Was it just not to eat the fruit? Was that the goal? I don't want us to get the Garden of Eden twisted. The goal of the Garden wasn't a command not to eat the tree. That was the guideline to help them thrive. We were created for far more than not screwing up our lives, folks. We were created for far more. We were invited by God into his garden. We were invited into a way of life with our creator where we could walk with him and talk with him and care for the earth that he's given like him. We were able to create like him. Don't miss God's heart behind the Ten Commandments or even the law. The goal wasn't, let me make sure I don't screw up my life. That way I follow everything to the T. That's what the Pharisees did, and they missed Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. Again, rather, the law was built to have intimacy with the Almighty, where when we have this intimacy, he shines his light in us, and then we reflect that light out so much so that it attracts the nations, it attracts people around us, and we see God better. These commandments were guidelines, but they weren't the goal. The goal is to know Jesus, who is the light of the world, to let his light shine in us and the good news shine out of us to others, just like someone in your own spiritual history shared the light of Jesus with you or your family, and that's why you're here today. Because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Again, Dr. David Benner he suggests this, that surrender is the foundation for Christian spirituality and growth. Surrender is the soil out of which obedience can grow. Jesus doesn't simply want our compliance. He wants our hearts. He wants our love, and he offers us his love. 
he invites us to surrender to love. Now that is a noun, and it's, as we're going to see, it's also a verb. We see a great example of this surrender and obedience in the story of the brothers Cain and Abel. And you might be like, what? Cain and Abel? The first siblings in the Bible? Isn't that much more of a fail than obedience? Well, both brothers at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 4, they come and they're presenting their offerings to God. And for some reason, one brother's Abel's, his offering's accepted and the other brother Cain's is not accepted. We're not told why Cain's isn't accepted, but we're told he's really mad, he's really angry, and God comes to him. Genesis 4, 6 says, The Lord came to Cain. Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will your sin not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. This interaction always is interesting to me. Because if God is all-knowing, why would he come and ask Cain why he's so upset? As if God wasn't there. It's the same reason, I believe, that God came to Adam and Eve in the garden when they were hiding from him after they ate the fruit. God knew where they were. God comes to us when we're struggling to worship, when we're struggling to live out the right thing. Even when we fail to follow his commands, he still invites us to himself. He invites us into the light, into a conversation with us in order to lead us out of our confusion and our darkness and into his strength into his way out, into his commands for his glory and our ultimate good. God desires that we love him from the inside out because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So when we embrace Jesus' commands, we're actually embracing God. Which brings us to our second thing, that now because of this is true, because of all that Jesus has done, we can now mimic Christ's movements as the way to stay connected to Jesus right now. We have been freed from our sins so we can imitate Jesus' way in our world. We can pattern our life here on earth after his life here on earth and actually keep in step with Jesus. And that's really powerful because sometimes there's days when we can't see him working. We can't feel him next to us. But if we are mimicking his life, we know that we are walking just as he walked. And there is great comfort in that. Look with me at verse 5 again. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we have come to know that we are in him, that whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. The reality is is that you and I cannot claim to live in Christ unless we behave like Christ. And that's hard when you try and you fail. As earthly conduct is an essential part of faith, so too is the earthly life of Jesus is our model for our lives. Are we familiar with Jesus from afar or have we come into a daily close relationship that's interactive? Do we daily meditate on Jesus's words, on Jesus's life, on Jesus's compassion, on Jesus's frustrations, on Jesus's mission, even focusing on Jesus's relationship with his father? Because when we mimic Christ's movements, we also reflect his light and we begin to change from the inside out and it affects everything on the outside. We begin to move like our maker and introduce truth and goodness and love back into the world. Now enter 3 John. Flip over to 3 John. 3 John has a story, or has a story. He's writing to a situation. And verse, uh, verse 9 and 10 say this. 
I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Skip down a little bit. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who want to welcome the brothers and puts them out of the church. You see, what's happening in 3 John is that there's a, there's a member of the church who keeps out, he keeps keeping out missionaries who want to come in and worship God and bring the gospel. They're coming in for support. But because they're strangers, Diotrephes won't listen to them or allow them to attend the house church. Because these Christians didn't do things like Diotrephes did and because he, they actually challenged his way of loving others, he didn't want anything to do with them and he refused to have fellowship with them. He refused to see them as fellow lamplighters in the world bringing the gospel, and so he excluded them. And then John tries to write and say, hey, um, let them in. Geotrophes doesn't want anything to do. He doesn't want to submit to the pastoral authority, encouragement, and leadership in the church. And I can only imagine what that must have felt like for those that were there watching this church leader fight with the church pastor, kind of going back and forth, what do we do, right? And then verse 11 is the answer. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. John is instructing his house church away from following Diotrephes' example of exclusion, but rather wanting them to be imitators of God, just like children imitate their parents. Just like Paul in Ephesians 5 encouraged the church and being therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, what God desires is that for all of his daughters and sons to show a family resemblance. He wants us to be known as great lovers because love is his way of working out things in our broken world. When we try to love like Jesus did, not only does it please God, but it also transforms us to actually looking and resembling Jesus from the inside out. And soon we find ourselves developing habits of loving others by giving up of ourselves in the same way Jesus did. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And then we're going to see now, now because of all that Jesus has done, we can now lean towards others and will actually lead us towards the light. We can now embrace our brothers and sisters in the church and it will actually guide us farther into the light. Surrendering to love others will bring us out of the darkness that blinds us. Look with me back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. To know God and to abide in his love means we have to obey. And to obey is to give Christ-like love. But the ultimate test of our faith and of our Christ-like love and our obedience is when we are called to love the unlovely. Love becomes a genuine value only when it is tested. Only when we must reach beyond ourselves and love someone we don't want to love. This is the caliber of love that John is writing to the church about. This is the caliber of love that Jesus is calling us to. But when we disconnect our love for God from our love for others and those around us, at work, at church, in our small group, at home, 
we actually stunt our spiritual growth and we enter into darkness that blinds us and leaves other people stumbling in our wake. But because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, we can actually lead others towards the light, towards the Father of light, just as Jesus said he would, we would in Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine out before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So now, because of all that Jesus has done, we can learn from others and grow in the light of Jesus. We've been invited and included and introduced into God's forever family so that we can know him better. And we can now see God's church not as a, let's be honest, sometimes an eye-rolling nuisance, right? We don't have to see God's church as that, as something to put up with. But rather, we can see our brothers and sisters as vitally necessary people to live with, to worship with, to learn from. As we go, look at it now at 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men and young women, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men and women, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John is repeating himself a lot in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John. He repeats himself repeatedly because he's trying to help the church know that while many people in the house churches may be in different stages in their relationship with Jesus, they can still learn from each other. They may have come to know Jesus at different parts in their lives, at different stories in their lives. They may have different struggles and sins that they face, but they can still learn from each other. And just because others are different doesn't mean that the older believers can't garner strength from the younger believers. Just because the older saints look different, talk different, enjoy different things, doesn't mean that the passionate young ones can't learn and receive wisdom and understanding and faith from the seasoned saints who have been walking in the light of Christ in a dark world for longer than maybe some of us have. Because the darkness is passing and the true light has already shining, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sometimes when we get together at church or in our life groups or even at youth group, we start to get on each other's nerves. Well, let's be honest. Someone says something that we downright disagree with, and we do not want to be associated with them at all, so we instantly in our mind cut them off, and we cut them out of our lives. As opposed to retelling the gospel to ourselves. The gospel that says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we, we actually stunt our spiritual growth and miss out when we cut off forgiving our brothers and sisters, when we miss sharing the gift of grace and unconditional love that we received. And if we miss that, we're going to miss how to bring our lights together inside of the church to love one another so that people outside the church actually see our lights coming together and it's seeing lighting up the darkness and see the forgiveness and the grace and the trust and the reconciliation that is happening in here. And they say, wow, I want to come and experience that in 2023. This is not something from 2,000 years ago that we're just trying to work out. No, we want the light of Jesus to flood our neighborhoods. And that starts here, church. It starts with us. Which is why Jesus said that the aim 
the hallmark, the benchmark, the advertisement, the greatest advertisement that the church would ever have is from John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. If we forget the as I have loved you, we are just going to try to love out of our own strength and frustration. And that is so limited. But by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you've ever watched The Chosen or you've ever read the Gospels, you're going to notice that a tax collector, a zealot, and a fisherman all walk into a bar. I'm just kidding. They walk into Jesus' small group, right? And they couldn't be more opposite. They have past experiences. They have different ways of seeing God. They have different ways, different expectations of who Jesus is and what he's going to do in my life. But they center around Jesus, and that holds them together. So my question to you is, are you a part of a small group? Are you a part of a life group? Or are you trying to figure out life on your own? But if you are in a life group and you are in a small group, are you all the same? Does everybody have to be the same? Or do you worship the same Jesus who allows for difference and perspective? Because if we do allow for that, we're going to experience God's light in so many beautiful mosaic ways where he shines through our brokenness and he leads us back to himself. As we gather around Jesus together in all of our diversity and our passion and our immaturity, right? Because none of us has fully arrived. When we do that, we make the world turn. They turn and notice the God of creation, their redeemer. When we love when it's inconvenient, when we love when it's uncomfortable, when we love each other when it's hard, that is where we grow. That is how we stay in the light. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And if Jesus did not cut out his disciples for saying stupid stuff and not getting it, Lord Jesus, help me to not cut other people out when they say stupid stuff and don't get it. And God, forgive me when I say stupid stuff and I don't get it. May I remember the gospel every day and may that affect everyone because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And so if God's heart is to become our heart. There's no small hint here through the word that the word of God is going to be that very vehicle that brings about strength and camaraderie and victory. And so in conclusion, I want to give you two resources that you can take home, that you can take into your time with the Lord Jesus uh, to grow. The first one I've already mentioned is Dr. David Benner's book, Surrender to Love. I like encouraging small books. It's a very thin book. But it's great because it allows you to look at love and fear, obedience and surrender, and bringing all of that into your relationship with God. It's a very good read. Um, It can accompany you in your devotion time. Check that out. And then also, too, um, for those that are more auditory learners, there's this, and you have a smartphone, the Lectio 365 app is a great prayer scripture app. It's a hit with our students, it's a hit with our small groups. Um, It helps you settle down in your soul in the morning time and the evening time to position yourself in God's word and let it transform you. Um, It's a wonderful time because it has an evening prayer section where you can actually be invited to look back over your day and see, oh wow, God showed up here. And then there's part of it that allows you to look back on your day and say, man, this is where I kind of sinned. No, this is where I really sinned. No, man, this is when I sinned out of negligence or I didn't realize it, but I also, this is where I deliberately sinned. And what it does is it helps you Confess your sin, return to Jesus, and enjoy his forgiveness and his fellowship. So again, check it out. It's called Lectio 365. By reflecting and rejoicing, repenting and resting with the Lord Jesus through his word, we get to walk in the light from the inside out. 
And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to accomplish and was going to do because when Zechariah prophesied about the Savior, he said in Luke 1, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Because after all, the darkness is already passing and the true light is already shining. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as I've been studying your word this week, you have been wrecking me. Lord, it's hard to look into the light of your face and not feel uh, like I don't get it. But God, I'm so grateful that you bring us your word to call us back to yourself. And so, Lord, this morning we listen to your word. We invite you to come and through your Holy Spirit to guide us, to heal us from the inside out. Lord God, connect us with ourselves. Connect us with you. Connect us with each other. God, thank you for your incredible, lavish, out-of-this-world-that-came-into-our-world kind of love. In Jesus' name, amen.